Cheryl, thank you. Praise band and congregation. If you have your copy of God's Word, I'd like to encourage you to please open it to John chapter 12. This morning our text will be verses 44 through 50 of that chapter. John 12, 44 through 50. As you're turning there, I'll share another praise with you. Uh, this past week has been another very good week uh, for Emma, especially in therapy. She is showing more movement in her legs. Her response time has been quicker. And the therapist, as well as me and Jody and Ellen and Samuel, just been uh, thrilled at what we're seeing. So please continue to keep praying for God's grace and mercy and healing power to be demonstrated in Emma's life. Please do that for Him to be glorified. Now before we read this passage, I want to remind you that chapter 12 chronicles the end of Jesus' public ministry. Beginning at verse 1 of chapter 13, the gospel becomes like a, a, a microscope targeting Jesus' last night with his disciples. So chapters 13 through the end of chapter 17 really focus on what he teaches with that 12 in the very intimate setting of the upper room. So the passage we looked at last week, verses 36 through 43, really summarize his public ministry. It's like a, a, an encapsulation of it. The passage we are about to read serves as a summary of his teaching in that public ministry. You may be familiar with, I think they're called Sparks Notes now, that give a very quick overview of maybe a, a work of literature. When I was in school, it was called Cliff Notes. In many ways, that's what this passage is. It's a Sparks version of Jesus' teaching, where John summarizes the main themes by taking something Jesus said and inserting it at this point. So follow with me as I read aloud verses 44 through 50. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light. So that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Bow with me in prayer. Oh, gracious Lord, I want to thank you for your mercy. We recognize this morning that everything we have is because of your grace. Lord, our salvation is because of your grace. The hope we have in Jesus is because of your grace. The fact, Lord, that you allow us to know you is because of your grace. And Lord, this morning we want to see that man that Michael sang about. We want to see Jesus. We want him to be high and lifted up. We want him to be glorified. So to that end, O oh merciful God, Grant us your grace and your power. 
Give us ears that we might hear, eyes that we might see, and hearts that desire you more than anything else in this world. For it is in the name of Jesus, our Savior and mediator, that we pray. And the church said, Amen. What I'm about to share with you falls in that category of, you know you're getting old when. This was a moment for me. It was several years ago. I think I was in a grocery store and they had the music playing. In fact, it was a radio station. And I remember the announcer made these, these words. He said, and now we're going to listen to really a, a blast from the past, a, a goodie but an oldie. So let's listen to this. And then I heard the rock band Journey from when I was in junior high. And I'm thinking, that is not an oldie. I was expecting doo-wop, but what I hear instead is, don't stop believing. And I'm like, wait a minute. The music I grew up with doesn't qualify as oldies now, but I guess it does. Think about that song, though, that I just mentioned. Don't stop believing. It's ubiquitous in our culture. You hear it played in everything from political gatherings to when we used to have athletic events. I don't know if you've ever really listened to the words of them or looked at them. It's really a song that doesn't make a lot of sense. Of course, it's a rock and roll song, so it doesn't have to, I guess. But it's very interesting to me, the singer never identifies into exactly what you're supposed to believe. It's ambiguous. Just believe. What are you believing in? I don't know. Just believe in believing. Just believe. Now, I fear that many times when we talk about believing in Jesus, it falls into that same category. It's words that we say very easily. I believe in Jesus. Great. Good. What does that mean? When you utter those words, I believe in Jesus, exactly what are you committing to? What are you saying about Jesus? You see, you could say a lot of things about Jesus and still not have true saving faith. For example, historians tell us without doubt there was an itinerant preacher by the name of Jesus that walked through Palestine when it was under Roman occupation. He taught and had a great following. You could believe that. That's not saving faith. Or you could be like an ethicist. A person who teaches ethics who says what Jesus taught when he said love your neighbor is radical and world changing. You can believe that. That's still not saving faith. Or you could be like a, a communicator, a writer, who says Jesus was a master teacher, a teacher par excellence, looking at how he used stories to make a point. For example, even non-believers know the prodigal story of the prodigal son. They know the story of the Good Samaritan, and they would say, I believe Jesus was a master teacher. You can believe that. That's still not saving faith. So what is the content of saving faith? What does it need to mean when we say, I believe in Jesus? That's where this passage gives us a clear, concise guide as to what it means to say, I believe in who Jesus is. And let's start with the very first thing in verses 44 through 45. Believing in Jesus means this. It means believing that He is God. Now, we say that often very glibly without thinking about the ramifications of that. Look closely at what Jesus said. He cries out loud and clear, You believe in me? You're not just believing in me. You're believing in him who sent me, referencing God the Father. 
So in other words, if you say you believe in me, you are believing in God. And the inverse then becomes true. If you don't believe in Jesus, you really don't believe in God. He says, whoever sees me has seen him who sent me. Now Jesus says this not just as a representative of God, but as God incarnate. This passage serves in many ways as a bookend to the prologue in John chapter 1. Remember how that starts. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. From the very beginning, John is teaching that Jesus is God in the flesh. And we must hold to that truth very dearly and very clearly, else we will go in the path of maybe Islam, who says Jesus was just a great prophet. The Scripture, the Bible does not allow us to say that. Or we may go on the path of Jehovah's Witness who say Jesus was just a, a man upon whom the Spirit of God descended, the Spirit of sonship, and then that Spirit ascended from Him upon the cross. No! The Bible is clear that Jesus is God incarnate, born that way as a babe, and all the way to the moment He has ascended, He is God, He will never cease being God. And that is the point of the Gospels is to show us that this man is not just a man, not just a prophet, but he is God incarnate. Take, for example, when Jesus calmed the storm. I want you to think about that for a moment. Next time it starts storming and there's thunderstorms, I want you to walk back on your porch and step out and say, Storm, stop! See how that goes. Gospels say that there was a storm at sea and Jesus is asleep. The disciples are terrified, which tells you it had to be a huge storm. These were seamen. They'd spent their lives on the Sea of Galilee, but they are terrified. Jesus wakes up with a yawn almost. He says, be still. And the storm stops. Now, it's all too easy that we want to find a quick application for that, so we, we apply it very pragmatically. You've got storms in your life, Jesus can calm them. I don't doubt that. But that's not the main point of that text. When Jesus calms the storm, the main point is this. It is showing He is God because Psalm 107.29 says, Yahweh made the storm be still. If Yahweh makes the storm be still, and Jesus speaks a word and the storm is still, then who is Jesus? Jesus is God and as God then, He reveals who God is. And this answers the questions that plague us. Does God really care about my circumstance? Have you ever thought, is God really aware? Is God even there that He knows I'm struggling? The fact that Jesus reveals God shows the answer to those questions. Does Jesus care? Yes. Does God care? Yes. You see it in the compassion that he shows as he kneels down next to a woman caught in adultery. And what does he say to her? Woman, where are those that condemn you? They're gone. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He shows that God is compassionate as he weeps over a city. He cries and he laments over Jerusalem, his heart broken because they will not return to God. And then he weeps beside Mary as she grieves the death of Lazarus. If you've ever had your heart broken and you wonder, God, where are you? He reminds us that now in the Spirit he is with us, grieving. Our God is compassionate. He is merciful to the broken and he is also intolerant to the prideful. 
It reminds you Jesus' harshest words were toward those who were prideful, feeling like their own self-righteousness was enough to guarantee them the kingdom of God. It was for those that Jesus had the most difficult words. Jesus weeps with those who grieves and he judges those who seek to profit from his name. He shows us who God is, but understand what that means is this. How you respond to Jesus is how you respond to God. The Jews had a maxim. It said this. The one sent is as he who sent him. The one sent is as he who sent him. How you treat the messenger is how you treat the one who sent the messenger. Jesus is saying clearly and unequivocally, you cannot have it both ways. You cannot claim to believe in God and reject Jesus. Because Jesus is God. So when we say and we confess that Jesus is Lord, we are confessing that we believe He is God incarnate. But not only that, we are believing that Jesus brings about transformation. Look at verse 46. Jesus says, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Now, light is one of the key themes of the Gospel of John. From the very beginning, in John chapter 1, John gets us ready. He tunes our eyes so that we might see the light in the pages of that which he writes. He tells us in John 1, 5, the light came into the world, but the darkness could not comprehend it, could not overtake it. Now, light is not a metaphor that is encased in the Gospel of John alone. It's all throughout the Scripture. This image of light is meant to communicate holiness, goodness. Light is meant to communicate God's favor, God's joy, It's meant to communicate life and truth, revelation and knowledge. So look clearly at what Jesus says. He says, I have come into the world as light. So what that means is that if light is God's holiness and goodness, it is found ultimately in Jesus. It means that He brings God's favor and joy. It means that Jesus brings life and truth. And Jesus brings revelation and knowledge. That's an image we still have of light today. What do we say when we do, an, an idea dawns upon us or we get something? The light bulb's gone off. Jesus is the light that reveals who God is. And in doing so, look at what he says. Whoever believes in him may not remain in darkness. Our default status is darkness. We don't hear that much. We like to think of the innate goodness of humanity. But the scripture teaches us that our bent is towards sin like steel is drawn toward a magnet. And he is saying that he has come to bring about a transfer that we might move out of the darkness. That we might be set free from the prison of sin and know what true freedom is in Christ. Church, we must never forget the power of the gospel to transform. We must always hold to the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to bring about change in the lives of people. I recognize there are many of you that have been praying for those that are lost, those that are hurting, those that will not believe. And I want to tell you this morning, don't stop praying, don't stop trusting, don't stop, dare I say it, don't stop believing that God can do a work in their lives through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hold on to that truth. Colossians chapter 1, 13 says, God delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. I want you to think about that. 
transferred out of the domain of darkness. Darkness has no power over the believer. Transferred us into the kingdom of his son. How did he do that? He did that by his death and resurrection. That brings about the transformation. The darkness of our lives is placed upon Jesus upon the cross. And in the resurrection, he overcomes death, which because of sin has grabbed us all. He conquers darkness and death so that you and I can be transformed. That's the glorious good news. Those that are unrighteous can become righteous. Those that are unholy can be holy. Those that were enemies of God can be adopted children of God. Those that were debtors to God can now be made inheritors of what God possesses. He brings transformation and that change is brought about by Jesus. I love seeing, and I am not a, a, I am not a person who works well with their hands in repairing things. I've got folks in this congregation that can testify to that. My father used to say I could tear up a bowling ball. So I like looking at these stories of transformation. And I came across one the other day. You know that throughout the Midwest, there are abandoned missile silos everywhere. Silos that during the height of the Cold War housed nuclear missiles ready to launch toward Russia when the order was given. But as different negotiations took place, as different treaties were signed, those missiles were disarmed and those silos left empty. So what do you do with an empty missile silo? Well, you sell them. Outside of Topeka, Kansas, a businessman bought one of those silos from the government. What do you do with a missile silo? You transform it into a bed and breakfast. What once housed nuclear warheads now has kitchens, fireplaces, bedrooms, nice little nooks where you can sit and enjoy coffee. And I thought, what a picture of the gospel. How, much of us are, are, how many of us are carrying things that are like nuclear bombs ready to go off because of anger and regret and lust and pride? And God comes in and He transforms that destruction and brings life through Jesus. So when we say that Jesus is Lord, we are confessing not only that He is God, we are confessing that He brings the transformation that we long for, but He is also the truth. Believing in Jesus means he is the standard, the truth by which judgment occurs. We need to keep that in mind. Look at verses 47 through 49. If you hear my words and you don't keep them, he says, I don't judge him. Now, at this point, Jesus has been clear. He's coming to the world to save the world. The judgment of the world comes later at the second coming. Jesus came to bring salvation, but that does not mean that judgment is ignored. Verse 48, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. Okay, who's the judge then? It's the words that Jesus has said. His teachings. That's what will serve as the judgment on the last day. See, our standard will not be other people. We play that game all the time. We judge, well, I'm not as bad as that person. It's funny, we never gauge ourselves by those we think are morally superior. That doesn't matter. On the day we stand before God, it is the words of Jesus that will be the standard by which we are judged. You think about his message. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Believe in me. Trust me. And coming after him and following him. You see, this clarifies also what it means to hear Notice when he says, whoever does not receive my words. Now, if you look up to verse 47, he says, whoever does not keep them. To really hear the words of Jesus means that we obey them. To keep means obedience. 
not just hearing, not just knowing facts trivially, but acting upon them. That was the point Jesus made in the Sermon on the Mount when he said two men went out to build a house. One man built his house upon the sand. Storms came and the house was gone. The other man went out and he built his house upon a rock. And when the storms came, because the foundation was good, the house stood. Then he says, that man's like the one who hears and does what I teach. It's not merely being passive and receiving. It is living out the transformation because his words not only are truth by which we will be judged, they bring either life or death. That's the judgment. It's ironic that the same word can bring life or death. In many ways, what he says here echoes what was said in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 30 when God said, Behold, today I put before you words of life and words of death. The same word. Now, the way I wrapped my mind around it was like this. When I made the transition from junior high to high school, I had to go through tryouts to play basketball. I wanted to be a, a McMahon Cherokee basketball player. So during the summer, we had tryouts. Three or four days, you go and you play, the coach is watching, you do drills, and he's evaluating. Now, I don't know how it is now, but at that time, this is how you found out if you made the team. You came back on that final day, the locker room door was shut, and there was a piece of paper on that door. And you looked, if your name was on the list, you made the team. If it wasn't, sorry. And I can remember getting there and looking, Mark Harry, Mark Harry. Yes! Yes, I made the team. But then it dawns on you because my name is there. That means two or three more aren't. What was good news to me was bad news to others. So it is with the words of Jesus. Those who believe find life. Those who reject that same word is death. His words are the standard. He is true. And when we confess Jesus as Lord, we are saying He is the standard by which we will live or die and be judged. But here is the good news. Look at verse 50. Believing in Jesus means that we believe He alone gives eternal life. He says, and I know that His commandment is eternal life. Now that's the commandment of God. Now to understand, look back to verse 49 for just a moment. Jesus says, what I've spoken. Now what He spokes now, that's the standard of judgment. He says, what I've spoken is the commandment God has given me. God gave him a commandment. God the Father gave him a commandment. That commandment was say this, speak this. And he says, I know this commandment is eternal life. Once again, this is echoing what Jesus said earlier. My words are life, power. Now, eternal life is not just about duration. Eternal life is not just about living forever. Eternal life deals with a quality of life. It deals with having peace, joy. It deals with having, having satisfaction, contentment. It's not just length of days. It's what fills those days. It's what we long for. You ever just get sick and tired of the world? Sick and tired of problems and you long? Lord Jesus, come. That's the longing for eternal life. And deep down, that's what we hunger for. That happy ending. That ending that says, everything works out in the end. 
few years ago, a movie came out called August Osage County. Centered around a, a, a grandmother by the name of, well, Meryl Streep played the character, but her family had come for a reunion, and they were an extremely dysfunctional family. The movie ended with the family's fractured, left. Meryl Streep's characters left alone. They showed that to test audiences, and guess what? The audiences hated it because it ended on this note of, what? So what the filmmakers did is they went back and they created a new ending. After that scene where it shows Meryl Streep's characters alone, her family's abandoned her and left her, it then cuts to Julia Roberts. She's in a field. The sun is setting in the background, giving the sky a golden hue. Horses are running. And she looks at the camera and smiles as if to say, everything's fine. And you know what? Audiences loved it because it ended with this note of happiness. Because that's what we long for. Hear me clearly. If you're seeking that happy ending in any other way than the gospel of Jesus Christ, you'll be disappointed. That's why Paul says these light momentary afflictions are preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. He knows that in the end, the happy ending is Jesus. And he knows that in the end, us as believers, we are going to rejoice. We are going to know what it means to be in the kingdom. And we already experienced that. So what does it mean to believe in Jesus? He is God. He brings transformation. His word is the standard by which we are to live. And he alone gives eternal life. Now I want to ask you, if you will, to bow your heads with me now. Now even though we aren't giving a traditional invitation, that does not mean you cannot respond. So right now, as the Holy Spirit, I believe, is working, I want to ask you, have you ever placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? The four things that I just mentioned. Now, there are other things, you know, we could spend time diving into explaining the death and resurrection. But in this passage before us this morning, those four truths stand out. Do you believe them? Have you publicly confessed your faith and followed in the obedience of baptism? If you've never done that, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. After we dismiss today, I'm going to be standing near the, uh, the concession stand area over to your right, to the right corner. And I invite you this morning to come and just say, Pastor, I want to talk with you more about what it means to follow Jesus. Now for others, you may have gotten away from the gospel. The struggles of life have overwhelmed you to the point where you've lost hope. This morning I want to ask you to look afresh to Jesus. I'm not saying that all the troubles are going to immediately go away and disappear. But what I'm going to say is that in looking to Him, you will find renewed confidence and renewed hope. Some may have turned your backs upon these truths. You believe them, but you've not been living it. And this morning, you simply need to repent. You need to say, Lord, I have sinned. Forgive me. I turn from that. In just a moment, Cheryl's going to come and lead us. A song that's going to talk about being strong in the Lord. Will that be your commitment today? 
Heavenly Father, I thank you for the grace you have given us, the abundant, overflowing grace. We don't make these confessions because of our ingenuity, because of our wisdom. We make them because you are merciful and you lead us toward that end. So, Father, find our hearts compliant to your will. And may you be glorified. In the name of Jesus, amen. Will you join me by standing as we sing?